You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined, as always, by EJ Snyder. EJ, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. We are incredibly close to real football, and that is exciting stuff. Absolutely, and we are joined by the boss man, the editor-in-chief, Lester A. Wiltfong Jr. Lester, th- welcome back to Bears Over Beers. It's been a while, guys. I'm real glad you guys can, can, uh, can, can have me on the show here. Well, we are really excited because you made a special trip to the beer store <laughs> and actually bought a beer, not a Zima, which is sad because you have a, yeah. quite the following of people that know you, associate you with Zima. But what did you bring on the podcast today? Uh, today I have something it's from Founders. It's called uh, Dirty Bastard. <laughs> sure. Good beer. I have, I Good have beer. nothing... Is it? A, have you had it before? Oh, absolutely! I like Scotch ales. They're, that's really in my wheelhouse. Very malty beer. Uh, it is and, a Scotch and ale. Founders makes a good one. So Scotch ales are not super easy to find, and and so it's a style that I like, and I'll, I'll get it when I can find it. And so that that's a good one right there. It says it's a it's, it's got complex and finish. It's got a hints of smoke and peat. <laughs> I'm just reading off the label here. Uh, I have no <laughs> idea about beer. Oh man, don't come at JB with the beer details from Founders because he will he will bring receipts. Oh, I'm all, I'm all about it. Okay. I, I I brought a Founders on as well. I decided that because we're playing that team from Michigan, that I would pick a Michigan brewery. And of course, Mitch Trubisky won the job. So marvelous, Mitch or Marvel Roast is what I brought on. It is nice. a Imperial Golden Ale with coffee, cocoa nibs, vanilla, and milk sugar. It's a special brew, EJ. I see your I, face. It is eight percent too. So this is this is not that's messing around. Crazy stuff. A golden ale with all those notes in it and that level of ABV. Like that. I'm just fascinated. Just just by the description, I'm fascinated. I am very excited. What did you bring on? I brought on a Jeff beer, uh, second week in a row. But uh, this is again another beer from Booth Bay Craft Brewing in Booth Bay Harbor, Maine, and it is a seasonal. Uh, but my wife got a hold of some when she went back. It is the Sweetwoods Maple Breakfast Stout. So this mm. is right in JB's roundhouse. Absolutely. 8.5% alcohol by volume. It is a 16-ounce can, so we're going to have some fun today. we got a long podcast. I figured I'd bring a lot of beer. Um, but always interested when they put sweet flavors in a stout, uh, whether or not they balance it with malt or not. So we'll see, but uh, let's get them going. Yeah, let's get them going here, guys. Happy to be back. I didn't hear basically any pop there, so that'll... That's interesting. Imperial, not a lot of juice, uh, not, not a lot of carbon. Not a lot of fuzz. No, it's it, it's giving me something here when I pour it out. Just didn't get a, oh. uh, a pleasing pop off the top there. Wow. Oh my god. <laughs> Lester just found out it's not Zima. <laughs> you know, it's it's not bad actually. 
or, or should I say it's not as bad as I thought? Oh, it would okay. Be. There we go. <laughs> oh, this is uh, this is interesting. Very Ooh. wow. Very sweet off the top. Wow. Uh, that's dangerous. I don't. I don't taste eight percent. I will tell you that much. Okay. Well, we're both rocking eight percent, and uh, we both have a fair amount. Mine's of eight and a half. Yeah. Percent. So we're eights all around. This is uh, triple eights. This is going to be fun. But uh, we've got a lot to talk about, JB. So why don't you lead us out? Because let's we've dig got into this. Plenty thing. to go I, through. I want to start on defense because I, I think that we can all agree that the defense is going to be the highlight this year. And I, what I want to do is I just want to go through position groups. And then I want to ask you guys some questions, get your thoughts on, on where you're at. So as we look at the front seven, right, so we're going to have Akeem Hicks, Roy Robertson-Harris, John Jenkins is going to be in for Eddie Goldman, who opted out. Uh, Bilal Nichols is back. I'm excited to see what he can be. Those are the guys going to be on the front line. Obviously, you've got Khalil Mack, free agent Robert Quinn, who got signed for a big contract this offseason. Barcavius Mingo, former first rounder of the Browns, on his sixth team in six years. He's going to be the primary backup at outside linebacker. And then, of course, in the middle, Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan are going to man that uh, inside linebacker spots. And so the first question, I'm just I'm going to hit it hard, guys. Is this the best front seven since the 1980s Bears? Yes, I, I think this this may be. I mean, uh, on paper, at least, obviously, a lot has to happen you know, on the field. You know, but from a front seven standpoint, you got Mac. You know, Mac's on a mission. Everything we heard this year from Khalil Mack, you know, he was disappointed in his in his year last year. You know, the stats weren't there. I mean, I, I, I thought he had a good year on tape. If you watch what he did, you know, he really, you know, he still was bringing double teams. He was getting, you know, uh, uh, triple teamed at some points. You know, he was a, a guy that offenses had to account for, but he wasn't happy with the overall results. So, so he's on a mission. He's pissed off. You know, he has Robert Quinn now on the other side. You know, those guys, those bookend pass rushers are going to be, you know, really hard for, for offenses to get around. And then, you know, Akeem Hicks, if he's healthy, you know, that's, you know, those those three right there are going to be trouble for a lot of offenses. Yeah, I'm going to agree with Lester. I'd say if Hicks stays healthy, that's really the linchpin we saw it last year through the first four games last year. This defense was on a historic pace, not just for the Bears, but for the league. They were absolutely tearing teams up as as bad as the offense was. The defense was good, and Hicks was the guy that started most of that action. Adding Robert Quinn gives a legitimate pass rush threat on the other side. Leonard Floyd could bring pass rush occasionally, but did a lot of other things well. Quinn is absolutely still a guy um, that can get after the passer. And as long as this front seven stays healthy, it looks really good. Is Jenkins Eddie Goldman? He's not, but he's a very solid player. I would call him kind of a lunch pail guy in the middle. I don't think he's got uh, Eddie's ability, but I'm not worried on the same side. And, you know, Roquan and Danny in the back, that's a great middle to back up that front. It's, It's a very good team as long as everybody stays healthy. And they've definitely sort of pushed the chips to the middle of the table. It'll be fun to watch him go after offenses. Yeah, and you guys both mentioned Robert Quinn, and that was the big offseason move from Ryan Pace. Um, I guess we could argue what was the biggest move, but that was certainly the biggest money move. And I I guess just off the top, do you think that that was a wise investment of Ryan Pace to make, and why? You know, I I think he is is 30 now, I believe. So, I mean, it's it's obviously a a risk that he's taken, you know, but... uh, I really think that that Ryan Pace thought that you know he has to make a big move because you know he understands the window of this defense is closing. 
you know, at the time he made the move, you know, the quarterback situation was kind of up in the air. I know I, he, he says he's happy now with, with what's going on with Trubisky. You know, that, that we'll have to see what happens there. But, but I think he realized he needed a, a legit edge rusher. Uh, it wasn't Leonard Floyd. He wasn't getting it done. He needed a guy that can get after the quarterback. It's a passing league. You have to get after the quarterback, and he needed Quinn. So the money, probably a little bit, a bit too much, and we'll kind of see how the cap uh, is, is affected in the next couple of years. But, for what he thought this team was right now, this is the move he had to make. Yeah, money is the question about this, and a lot of people would bring up a guy that signed a lot later, Everson Griffin, uh, again, former NFC North guy that ended up in Dallas, and they'll say, oh, but he could have had Griffin for so much less, and it's kind of true and it's kind of not. Griffin's contract in the first year and this year is exactly the same cash-wise as Quinn's. They're like, uh, $100,000 apart. Now, guarantees and the fact that Quinn's deal is a two-year deal obviously pushes it up. But if you think Everson Griffin has a really good year in Dallas and goes on the cheap next year again, that's not the case. So in terms of Ryan Pace rolled the dice for a little bit of stability to say, hey, we want Quinn in the fold for two years. We expect him to perform well, and we're not going to pay him a lot more. Um but it's a legit threat. You talk about that rule of three. You've got Hicks. You've got Mack. And if you've got Quinn on the other side and he's still able to generate pressure, which he showed every ability to do last year, this defense gets really dangerous for opposing offenses to try and block because you can't rest. It's coming from everywhere. Yeah, and I was thinking about this when I was putting the agenda together to talk to you guys today. And one of the things I was thinking about is when you're trying to invest in a quarterback, obviously you want to protect him. But a lot of times you go out and you get them weapons, right? Like you, you want to make sure that you've got different types of receivers that you're putting at his disposal so that you can maximize that quarterback's ability. And what I really think is Robert Quinn is an investment in Khalil Mack because we saw how easy it was. Not easy because it's still not, you know, none of this is easy. <laughs> but it was easy to game plan around Khalil Mack. There was a lot of pockets that were flowing to the other way. There was a lot of quick throws that, that were getting out of the quarterback's hands before Mack could get there. And then there was extra protection being pushed to that side. And so Khalil Mack was the guy that they were focused on on every single play. So the people that are saying, oh, he had a down year. I don't think they know how to watch football, but let's, let's, just, <laughs> let's just put that aside. But they had to account for him every play. And when Hicks was hurt then there wasn't a legitimate secondary threat. And so now you go, you go out and you protect your biggest investment in Khalil Mack by signing Robert Quinn, and you hope that Hicks can stay healthy. And now you've got two legitimately good pass rushers in Hicks and Quinn that are going to pair with Mack. And now they can't give that extra attention to Mack because you've got two other guys that can get it done. So I kind of I think it's a protection of Mack more than anything. It's like the defensive fantasy handcuff. <laughs> <laughs> we, we talked about Quinn quite a bit, and I'm, I'm curious to hear this answer from both of you guys, but who do you think is the key piece of this front seven for the Bears to be as good as we all three think that they can be? You know, I think Khalil Mack is, you know, he's obviously the, the best defensive player on the team. You know, he is one of the best edge rushers in the game today. But if you're looking at the way this team's constructed – we saw last year what happens if you didn't have Akeem Hicks in the lineup. So, you know, if you don't have that push up the middle and Akeem Hicks, you know, he can do a lot of stuff. He can one gap, he can two gap, he can, he can, you know, he can create the entire collapsing of the pocket just, just by himself. You know, if you don't have Hicks doing that up the, up the middle, you can negate a little bit of Max, uh, of Max effectiveness on the outside. So I, I think the key is, uh, is Akeem Hicks. 
Yeah, I'll stick with Hicks. We, uh, Jeff, you and I had this in our uh, award show with Robert at the end of the year last year. We ended up giving the award to Hicks because the drop-off after he left the lineup was exactly what you were talking about, the ability to plan for still a very good player in Khalil Mack. But there's so many ways to get around one player out of an 11-man defense that it's possible. We saw what was possible last year. And again, people look at the stats. They say he didn't have a great year. He still had a ton of impact. He still moved people around, but they just kept the ball away from him. It's like a game of keep away. If Hicks is in there, especially middle pressure, a lot of offenses don't deal with middle pressure very well, and Hicks is tremendous at that. So I'll go with Hicks as the straw that stirs the drink. Yeah, and just the most likable guy on the team, probably the best personality, and just a joy to watch week in and week out. So just for my own personal entertainment purpose, uh, good health to Akeem Hicks this year. If we if he needs my elbow, he can have it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we're there yet medically, but I'm willing to make that sacrifice. All right, let's let's focus our attention in the secondary, and I, I think the secondary is pretty good, but there definitely are a little a couple questions here. But Cal Fuller's back at cornerback one. I think he is like just completely underrated, but we can get into that. I think Jalen Johnson, the rookie, is going to start at the second quarterback spot. So we were extremely excited about that draft pick, and it looks like um, he has impressed Chuck Pagano in the limited camp and has earned the cornerback two spot, which is really great with an abbreviated camp. Buster Screen, I think, is still going to be slotted in with that slot corner. And then you've got a couple other corners. And EJ, I definitely want you to handle this. But Duke Shelley and the rookie, Kendall Vildor, both guys that we kind of talked about as probably being slot guys, those are the other guys uh, listed at cornerback on, on the depth chart. And so are we a little bit short here on outside corners? I would say yes. And I said that. Uh, before the season, and a lot of Bears fans jumped all over me and said, but Kevin Tolliver. Uh, oh, whoops. is he still with the Bears? <laughs> uh, he's not, and I'm not going to toot any horns about that because I hope that he would be uh, at least quality depth. That's where I had him slotted. Uh, Bears had other plans, but he had the size and the experience outside. Everybody told me he was going to be fine there, and I said, ah, we haven't seen a lot from him sort of locking down one side. Obviously, he played in relief of Prince Mukamara last year. But with his release, it really is Kyle Fuller, who's all-world. Jalen Johnson, who fits the scheme perfectly, and as long as he's healthy, really looks to be a corner with great growth potential in this system. And then a question mark, right? If, if either one of those guys goes down, uh, Duke Shelley definitely played outside in the Big 12, but fits definitely more as a slot corner in the NFL. Uh, same thing with Buster Screen, right? He's a little bit Buster Screen. Buster Screen can play outside or in the slot, but neither one of them is a guy you want to post up outside for a long time, especially against big wide receivers that you're going to see all over the league, but especially in the NFC North. Um, and Kendall Vilder is a little ball of energy and got to see him at the Senior Bowl. Incredibly physical guy, but also limited height-wise and with reach and fade balls, not a guy you want to put on the boundary down after down. So I feel like they're in the market for a corner with a little bit of size, a little bit of length, and some experience playing outside would be great. Those guys don't grow on trees. It's tough. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if Kyle or Jalen, uh, you know, has a has an injury and they have to miss some time or you know miss a couple games. If if you're gonna move Buster Screen to the outside and, and bring in either Shelley or Vilder. I would assume Shelley is a little bit further along in his development. But 
And then with at safety, of course, we've got the great Eddie Jackson, who earned that contract extension right at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And he's going to be paired with Tayshawn Gibson. He was announced as the starter. Deion Bush looks like he's going to be the primary backup to Gibson. And so I'm curious, uh, Lesser, do you feel comfortable with Tayshawn Gibson starting next to Eddie Jackson? Do you think that's a good fit? Yeah, I do. If you look at the advanced numbers, um, he's pretty good in coverage. And, you know, I've been saying this for a while now. I just think the the era of the of the old school strong safety thumper is over. I mean, it's nice to have a guy that can do that on occasion. But, again, it's a passing league. you got to have a free safety. you got to have a strong safety, if that's even what they're called anymore. Um, I know a lot of teams mostly do a, a boundary a, a boundary safety. That's what we saw with Eddie Jackson. You know, he was mostly playing the, the wide side when possible. So, you know, I think you're going to see a guy like Gibson. He's a little better in coverage. You know, I thought Ha Clinton Dix played you know decent football last year, but then you take a look at what happened now this season. He got cut by the Cowboys. So, you know, how much was his year last year just built up because of the whole defense around him was so good? I think, I think, I think with Gibson, you know, he's going to get some of that as well. You know, he he may he may have a pretty decent year. You know, he may not be the the that great of a player. But I think he can be uh, enough for the Bears this year to get by. And I think at some point, you know, it would be nice for you, for them to to, uh, to draft a guy that you can kind of slot in with with, with 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 a much higher pick than where they have been drafting these DBs lately and get a guy that can play with Eddie Jackson for the next five, six years. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I was kind of thinking about I, I'm not a Star Trek guy, but, you know, <laughs> the old Star Trek episodes where you'd have the main characters and then there'd be like one guy in a red shirt. And then they'd go out, and the guy in the red shirt wouldn't come back. And it kind of feels like the the safety next to Eddie Jackson is the guy in the red shirt. And he gets one year, and then he doesn't get to come back for the team. And I'm just curious if this is going to be how the secondary is run, where Eddie Jackson is just so good that you just put a guy there. Or if they are going to invest uh, some capital here in getting in getting a safety next to him. And, and I, I feel like... There were some good safeties out there. This I actually think Gibson's a, a pretty decent player, and so I, I'm I'm just fine with that pick. There's no there's no problem there with me, but there were a couple of guys that seemed to me to be a little bit more of an impact starter. And again, this is just one of those things where the Bears are kind of up against it with the cap. There are opportunity costs with signing players or acquiring players with with other uh, with draft capital or or paying them paying your backup quarterback a lot of money. You know that that. That shows up in other places, and I think this was a this was a spot where that that happened. But I do think Gibson will be fine. Um, EJ, do you have any anything to add on that? This is the part where you don't want me to talk about Antoine Winfield Jr., right? Well, I kind of wondered if I could set you up for that. <laughs> yeah, you kind of did. This stings because on the day we're recording this, he was named the oh, that's right, starter in Tampa Bay. And uh, will probably remain there for a long, long time. He's an impact player and uh, would have been very nice to pair. And a lot of people will say, great, you're not spending you know, your high picks on secondary players, especially safeties, because they don't have the same influence on the game that uh, quarterbacks or left tackles or pass rushers do. And I understand that. But the whole point of draft picks is to get blue chip quality players who you think can help build the team. And looked like there was one there. He wasn't expected to be there. He would have been a steal at 30. Uh, you know, down the board where the Bears pick first would have been an absolute grab. And you would have been set at safety for a long time with two very good players. And on a rookie contract, it would have been palatable. Now, do I have anything against Gibson? No. I think he's a very solid role player. Uh, 
I think he's a little underrated, uh, hasn't had a tremendously high profile in the league, uh, certainly got some talk the last time he was up available in free agency, but he's played well in a couple of years since then, so I don't have any lack of confidence in Gibson, but he's not a guy that I'm, again, sort of basing the secondary around and saying, oh yeah, we got a rock in the secondary and Gibson, we can build around him. So uh, he'll be fine. Again, I think you're right with Jackson and the cap and really sort of the red shirt position next to him because of that. They're never going to bring in a super high profile, uh, strong or second free safety, whatever you'd like to call it. I agree with Lester. Got to have both guys that can move, but I'm fine with it. Um, I don't feel worried about it. Now, if they just stood pat and said, no, Bush is our guy, I would feel less confident than I do with Gibson there. Yeah, I agree. I've, Bush seems a little bit limited. You know, as a backup, I can live with it. So, all right, let's step back and talk about this defense as a whole. And I'm curious, how good do you think that this defense can be if it if players stay healthy? Like, what's the peak? Because, in my opinion, this is a number one overall defense that it has the potential to be a number one overall defense. Yeah, I mean, they, they were you know the best defense in the league in 2018. You know, last year they slipped a bit, partly because the turnovers was something that just, you know, you can't predict turnovers year to year. You know, but in the in the Q&A I did recently with, with uh, 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 Football Outsiders, you know, they're predicting a, a bounce back for the Bears. I mean, the, the, the turnovers, it, it may not be what it was in 2018, but, you know, the odds of that bouncing back a little bit are there. And then, of course, you factor in the, the, the uh, better pass rush now with Quinn, with a healthy Hicks. You know, if, if they're getting after the quarterback, the turnovers will come. Um, I think the key, the key to the whole thing is, is like you said, health. If Hicks stays healthy, you know, you have Mac, you have Quinn, you have guys getting after the quarterback, you know, that will boost this defense up to, I see no reason why it should not be, again, at least top 10. You know, I'm thinking at least top three. Yeah, I would agree. And again, health is the key, but if all the pieces stay healthy, they do work together. And the three things I think that really will complement each other are that front seven, the addition of Robert Quinn specifically gives the Bears a legitimate pass rush threat at the other side where they didn't really have that in Floyd. With Hicks and Mack and Quinn, Jalen Johnson doesn't have to be as good in coverage. He doesn't have to stay in phase as long. Opposing quarterbacks aren't going to have those few extra seconds to let the ball go. So that'll make Johnson look better. And the other one is the rotation of Eddie Johnson, or sorry, Eddie Jackson back to his more natural position, right? Where he can roam and break forward on those crossing routes, which is his bread and butter. That is his instinct. That is his click and close. That's where he made all the big impact plays early in his career. Rotating him back away from the line. Uh, again, with Haha, he had to rotate closer to the line more than he would have liked. Gibson's going to fill that role. So those three things are going to kind of work in concert. And if everybody stays healthy, it's going to be a fun year to watch the Bears defense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. And I'm curious if you guys think that Chuck Pagano being around for his second year is going to give this defense a bump. You know, Pagano came in, and I think the expectation was that he was going to be really aggressive because he has those roots in his background uh, with Baltimore where he, you know, he led some very aggressive defenses, but he really kind of called tentative games, uh, particularly in the, the last half of the year. And you wonder if there's just the, the need for additional familiarity or some self-scouting or, or what it is. But do you think that the second year of Pagano could be the cause of a decent bump here? Yeah, I think part of it is 
how much will the offense stay on the field? I think a lot of what Chuck Pagano had to do last year was, I think as a team, uh, the Bears realized that the offense was middling. Uh, I think he realized he could not be as aggressive as he wanted to. If you look at his track record, what he's done in the past, you know, in, in, with the Colts, with the Ravens, you know, throughout his, his career, he's been an, an aggressive blitzer. You know, he doesn't, he's not going to blitz all the time, but he's in a, he, he'll, he blitzed more than he, what, he, what he showed us last year with the Bears. And I think part of that was as a team, they realized, you know, we can't open up ourselves to the blitz because if the blitz don't get home, that's when we give up big plays. Our offense cannot keep up with the booth with, with a, a, another big play offense. So I think if the offense is able to run more efficiently, I think Chuck Pagano will now bring out some more of those blitzes. Yeah, I think the answer lies in the first four games, not the last six or eight games. And when he had all the players he needed with health and they hadn't quite come to the conclusion let's just say conclusively that the offense was a dog last year if you look at that first month he did bring the heat right that first month they destroyed offenses they absolutely mashed people and again if everybody stays healthy and the offense can be just medium middle of the road right we don't need a lights out offense nobody's expecting kansas city production out of the bears anytime soon offensively but they're gonna need more than 10 or 17 points a week right if they're scoring three touchdowns a week this defense is gonna feast well you know what why don't we take a quick break and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about that offense because i know that both of you are just itching to get into the offensive part of this team this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, so let's get back into this. Let's talk about the offense. I want to start off up front, and obviously Lester is a fellow offensive lineman. I'm kicking this to you first. But offensive line is going to be Charles Leno Jr., James Daniel at left guard, Cody Whitehair manning the pivot. Jermaine Effetti, I believe, is named the, the, the starter at right guard. He played a lot of tackle in the league, but he's getting kicked in, so we're hopeful that he's um, maybe better equipped to handle the guard position. And then Bobby Massey, of course, will be the right tackle. Some decent depth, I think. Alex Bars is on the roster, Jason Spriggs, and then the rookie, Arlington Hambright, made the roster. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, so what do you think about this line? Uh, Kyle Long's gone. Jermaine Effetti is in. He's playing a position that he played a little bit of and I think had more success with. Um, but it's still kind of the same guys that weren't super successful in 2019. 
I mean, this is a group that definitely regressed last year. I mean, th- th- for whatever reason, I know with 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 with, uh, with with Chuck Leno, there was some issues there with uh, with the holds earlier. He had to adjust his game because he was getting you know a, a bit picked on by the refs. Um, and then of course you had the, the Whiter Daniels, you know, flip flop. You had Kyle Long hurt all year, and then with Massey, you know, he, he got hurt as well. So, you know, this group as a unit regressed. Um, so you would hope they bounce back. I think at at, at right guard with with a Fetty. You know, I watched some of his tape from from Seattle because that's when he played right guard. Uh, it was his rookie tape, so it was really raw. You know, that was his first time playing guard. He was a tackle in college, so you just hope that what they saw in him on, on on film when they decided to bring him in as a guard. You hope that translates because you know there was some good tape. You know, when when when, when he was in Seattle, you know he was a mauler. You know, he is a little bit slow afoot. Um, but you can kind of hide that a little bit when when you're in in in, in, in the, the in the phone booth at guard instead of when you're out at tackle. His tackle tape was was really bad. So so if the Bears brought him in as a tackle, that would have been a bad move. Coming in as a guard, I can see it. But I think overall, this unit, you know, if you look at coming off 2018, you know, people were thinking, oh, this is gonna this group will take a jump and be a top 10 unit. I mean, they they were in in the, in the, in, the, in that range. You know, that last. Uh, uh, two years ago, seeing them t- regress obviously hurts. But what are the odds that they go back up? I think the odds are pretty good they're going to go back up. And a lot of the scouts around the league have, have said as well that this group should bounce back. Yeah, and you know when I think about offensive line, I think about the old quote of "You're only as strong as your weakest link." And so to me, that's pretty obviously a Fetty, just because there's so much unknown about him playing guard. But EJ, he played a lot of ball up in Seattle, and that's your backwoods. Uh, what can you tell us about that? And do you feel somewhat comfortable about plugging him in there? Yeah, I'm with Lester. With At guard, I'm okay with it. At tackle, I would think that was a sunk cost, a bit of a waste. Fetty was a player I liked coming out of college and he was on the uh try it at tackle plan right see if he can do it and if he can't kick him inside he has the size and the power uh lester said mauler i think that's right and at guard i'm pretty comfortable with it and the other part is coaching change right juan castillo comes in as the offensive line coach might see some different looks uh james daniels who we saw at camp last year all three of us and went man he's pretty big I saw a photo of him walking into camp this year, and he looks bigger. Like, that guy is an absolute unit now. And if they get their assignments cleaned up between Daniels and Whitehair, which was really the problem early in the year, we, we saw some terrible offensive line tape out of the Bears where it was like, I thought that was your guy, and that was happening week after week. If Castillo can, again, just clean that up, get everybody on assignment, Fetty, I think, can hold his own at guard last year. There was a bit of a turnstile at right guard. Well, a, a lot of a turnstile at right guard for the Bears. <laughs> no consistency there. Both of you as former offensive linemen know about consistency on the offensive line and communication and, and just knowing what the guy next to you is going to do. If Castillo can bring that consistency and these guys have improved physically, I think Fetty is superior to anybody they had at guard. I think you're going to see a, a basic rebound. Are they going to be top 10? I don't know. First year of a new coaching staff is always interesting, but it feels like it could be an improvement just from the consistency standpoint. And physically, I think Effetti's better at guard than anything they had last year. So I'm looking for uh, conservatively a little bit of a rebound. And if they gel quickly uh, and start hammering on people, that's infectious on the offensive line and they'll continue to want to do it. 
Yeah, I think uh, it, you know it's a popular sentiment to say that at offensive line you'd like five guys that are just solid guys, right? And you'd rather have that than like two superstars and three replacement level players. And and so well, uh, that's a pretty popular sentiment. To say give me just five solid guys. Sure, but if and you so, give me Joe Thomas, I'll take my one. <laughs> well, sure. If you, if you give me you know five All Pros, great, I'll take that too. But but and so I think that the. Of all of the position groups in football, I think offensive line really is that that you're only as strong as your weakest link. And so getting that that lowest level performance that was right guard last year up into something that's professional level, that is going to help this squad going forward. I think Leno is fine. I think Massey is fine. They're not going to make any first team all pros in their entire career. No, no doubt about that. But I think that they are they're fine players. And so if you can get that average level of performance of your weakest link up, I think that you can you can at least be a decent offensive line. Obviously, it helps your, your quarterback can help that offensive line play quite a bit, and so hopefully that has taken a, a step forward. We will get to that in a few minutes, I promise. If it isn't obvious already, we're going to finish with the quarterback position. Uh, so um, I, I am confident that we can at least see some improvement along this line to where we can see this be an, at least an average unit, if not above average. And so that that's what I'm looking for is can can we see this as an above average unit? Yeah, I think it's really important here for for uh, Daniels and White here to really you know excel at their spots. I think them not not having to, to worry about you know th- they're where they are now. You know they're not going to flip again. They are now center. They are now left guard. There will be no changes in the middle of the season. So I think having that in place, knowing that's going to be going to be what they're going to be for hopefully the rest of their career, I think that's a big thing for this old line too. Do you, th- Lester? I mentioned the 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 depth with bars who you know we haven't really seen much of obviously a rookie in Arlington Hambright you're not going to expect much out of him I think Spriggs is a pretty decent depth signing at a swing tackle but do you feel confident that if one of those guys goes down that the Bears can plug that hole or are we in a little bit of trouble you know I think with Spriggs you know if you talk to Packers fans you know he was not a very good you know starter in Green Bay but but coming in as the swing tackle, I think, you know, he's probably better than some other guys, some other teams out there. You know, he's obviously not the best. You know, you don't want him playing a lot. Um, and then with Alex Bars, I mean, I really like what I saw out of Bars last preseason. You know, I thought he, he really showed some, some good technique. And when you, when you, when you, when you're watching preseason, you know, you, you don't want to look at, at, at how they're actually doing as far as beating the guy in front of them. Because for the most part, all the guys that Alex Bars beat last year are not in football right. anymore. Uh, but, but, but if you watch Alex Bars, you watch his technique and, and, and last we got to see, see him play tackle. You know, he had really good tackle feet. He had really good hands. I think he, he had good balance at the position. You know, that's what you kind of look at when you watch preseason. And with bars, you know, I, I think that, you know, he, they may have something in him. I mean, he, he obviously was on, a, on the practice squad most of last year, you know, but he's the guy that they trust enough where they are getting him reps at tackle and guard in camp. So, you know, I, I think the depth as far as, you know, who's the first tackle off the bench, I, I'm assuming it'll be Spriggs, but I won't be surprised if it oh, is that's bars. interesting. I, I kind of saw him as uh, we, we signed a Fetty so because we know we need to make sure that we're plugging that in with someone with starting experience. But we're hoping that either he emerges in 2020 or that he's going to be ready to go for 2021 to fill that right guard spot. And we've got our interior offensive line kind of nailed down for the foreseeable future. So that is interesting that you know, we're seeing him at, at tackle. So I want to move on to tight ends. And this is an interesting group because clearly tight end was 
a huge weakness for this team. And clearly, when you look at Kansas City, when you look at Philadelphia, so you're looking at the other offenses that are most similar to Matt Nagy's offense. You've got the the the, the father tree of Andy Reid in Kansas City, and then you've got the close cousin in Philadelphia with Doug Peterson. Those are the offenses that I keep looking to when I'm when I'm looking at Matt Nagy's offense to try to compare them. And you've got Travis Kelsey, who's I think unquestionably uh, one of the top two uh, tight ends in the league with with Kittle. And then I would say the third best tight end in the league is Zach Ertz, who plays for Philadelphia. And the Bears' tight end play was bottom of the league. They just didn't have it. Uh, obviously, Adam Shaheen just never happened, and he was traded in the offseason for a conditional pick down to Miami, which good for Ryan Pace. If we want to like bash Ryan Pace for at least he got something of value out of that pick um, and sending him down to South Beach. Uh, but the the decision to sign Jimmy Graham, who in my opinion has not put a lot of good tape on, uh, on record here in the last couple of years, was seemingly kind of a desperate move. And I think it speaks to just how much they need tight end production in this offense. But Jimmy Graham just really has not provided that for his last couple stops. And so let's start with Graham, and then we'll move into the rest of the tight ends. Where, what, what did you think when you saw this signing? Uh, for me, I, I, when it first happened, I was like most Bears fans. Like, why the hell are you paying so much money to a guy that's that that old? He hasn't had good production in the last couple of years. You know, I understood the signing from a, from a personnel standpoint with Jimmy Graham coming in, but that money seemed ridiculous. Um, you know, was Pace bidding against himself? I mean, we kind of seen him do that, you know, a little bit, you know, throughout his history here. So that's that's possible. But you know, he he and and Matt Nagy they value that position. You know, you have to have a good U tight end in this offense. You talked about it. You know, that's 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 what they call their adjuster. They move him around the line. You know, he he helps the 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 the, the QB out by what's the defense is doing when when they watch him. So. You have to have a guy that understands that spot. You know, Jimmy Graham has been in that role, you know, throughout his entire career. You know, so he will give the Bears a much better production than they had in, in 2019, at least. Yeah, he's, he's obviously so- – And that's not saying no, a lot. No, no, <laughs> he's obviously someone that you you really can't count on to block anybody. He, he's he's probably going to be the worst blocker on the field anytime he steps on. And I'm including, you know, Allen Robinson and, and Anthony Miller and, and anybody else. And so that's 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 not what you're getting out of him. You're, you're having you're, – you invest in Jimmy Graham because you want him to catch passes. It just hasn't really happened for him recently. And so we'll, we'll see if that can change in this offense. And maybe this off it's scheme-dependent. Maybe he needs an offense like this to be successful. It certainly schemes open a lot of tight end routes. And so I'm – I'm excited to see if this can happen for Graham, but you know my analytical side says that this was a really desperate and kind of terrible signing. So hopefully I'm proved wrong. I'm very happy to be proved wrong when I have negative thoughts. The other piece of this, and we'll just talk about the rest of the tight ends, but you've got rookie Cole Komet, who was the, the first pick that the Bears had um, in this rookie draft. You've got Demetrius Harris, um, I think from the Cleveland Browns, and uh, kind of a solid uh, tight end kind of – um, probably more um, in the line of, you know, average production that you can expect out of him. And you've got J.P. Holtz, who, you know, showed some flashes last year, and then Eric Saubert uh, rounding it out, the tight end group. And so let's talk about Komet for a little while because there was a little bit of, I, I don't want to call it controversy because we like the player, EJ and I both like the player Cole Komet, but using your first pick on a tight end 
and traditionally tight ends are not very productive in their rookie season. And there were some guys on the board, uh, you know, EJ's already mentioned Winfield um, to, 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 to pair with Jackson at the safety spot. You know, we were really excited about that potential happen, and, and they went with Cole Komet. But what have you seen or heard about Komet that hopefully makes you feel good about that pick? Yeah, I mean, as far as, as Cole Komet, the, the entire coaching staff, they've raved about this kid since day one. I mean, obviously there was no, no OTAs, you know, but a lot of the stuff they talked about was that was the classroom work over Zoom. You know, they said he's a really bright kid. He picked up the offense really quick. And then when he did get on the field in training camp, you know, all the coaches said he was able to take what he learned, you know, in the classroom and the Zoom and translate that over to on the field stuff. So, you know, he was further along than they anticipated. You know, he has looked right in camp as, as, as so has, as Graham. You know, the, the tight end group as a whole has probably been the best position group of, from, from all the uh, Bears position groups in camp. And then with Komet, you know, the, the, it looks like he may be starting at the Y. I know the depth chart came out today. You know, you can't always trust the depth chart because sometimes it's just kind of, you know, it's, it is what it is. Uh, but, but with Komet, you know, I think he has a good chance to start at that Y. You know, he, again, he, he's going to struggle as a rookie. He's not going to be a, a mauling blocker from day one. You know, but he has the size. You know, he has the frame. He has the willingness to block. And I think you're going to see, again, we're talking about better production than last year. And, again, it's not hard to do, but – it, this offense needs that. It's, 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 if you look at an old school West Coast offense, and this is what the, you know, the roots of this offense is, you know, it's the tight end and, and the fullback are really big keys to that offense. You know, these days it's the Y tight end and the U tight end. You gotta have two. You can't just have, have one or the other. You know, if you really want to have this offense click like Matt Nagy wants it to, you need the Y, you need the U, you need them both to play good, and it's going to be Graham and Komet. Then you mentioned Harris, who, who who kind of play a little bit of both, and you know he's a good athlete, he has good hands. You know he's again, if you get average production out of him, I think you're you're ahead of the game. And then with JP Holtz, you know he he's he's a guy that we saw play a little bit last year as the H back role. I think that's kind of where he'll kind of slot in, and then plus you'll you'll see him kind of back up a little bit as well. And with Saubert, you know I was a little surprised he made it over Jesper Horstead. Uh, but then the more you look at it, you realize, you know, Horst is more limited. He's really only a Y. You know, Saubert, again, can play kind of both. Plus, he has a lot of special teams experience. So that kind of makes sense having Eric Saubert on the roster over uh, Jesper Horstead. Yeah, it's interesting because, really, if you kind of think about it, the guys that were listed at tight end last year that we were all kind of most excited about or provided the biggest spark was Jesper Horstead and J.P. Holtz. And now, you know, in, in – you know, classic Ryan Pace fashion, he's going to just throw a bunch of capital at one position group, right? And so now you've got J.P. Holtz is kind of the bottom of the roster and Jesper Horstedstead is on the practice squad. And so that is, you know, that that's kind of a signature, I, I would say, of Ryan Pace is that he really does just kind of throw a whole bunch of capital at one position group. And tight end was his focus this year to kind of make up for you know, a signing that didn't work out with Trey Burton, um, I, you know, mostly due to injury. I think that that was still a good signing at the time. I'll, I'll, I'll die on that hill. I'll defend that decision. And then, of course, the, the, you know, bad pick that was Adam Shaheen. So that's kind of the, the tight end position group. EJ, I don't know if you have any, like, general thoughts that you wanted to add in. We kind of dominated offensive line and tight end talk there. But uh, jump in if you have any, you know, big picture thoughts on the tight end stuff. Well, the news on Komet's been really good. Everybody thinks I'm down on Komet because I would have rather had Antoine Winfield Jr., but that's not the case. It's not either or. Komet is a very good player, and all the uh, you know preseason reports taken with a grain of salt is that he's uh, incredible physically, 
Mentally, he was right there. He was one of the best prepared tight ends in the room in terms of knowing the playbook. He's razor sharp mentally. So I think he's going to be a contributing player over time. Jimmy Graham, I have my doubts. We'll see. A late career resurgence would be nice. The trend certainly says no. Um, I'm with Lester. I expected Jesper Horsford to be able to make the roster, but definitely more as a receiving threat, a little less well-rounded, probably a little less on special teams. That's where Saubert comes in. We saw Holtz have that late, uh, late season explosion last year, which was super fun. And now, like you said, he sort of backs up the bottom of the tight end room, and, and that's really where he should be on an NFL roster, and that feels more right set. So I, definitely a lot more confidence overall in the room. Uh, if they have an injury or, or something COVID-related, Horstead can get pulled up off the practice squad. That feels pretty good, too, because we saw some flashes of potential there, and it's a player that the Bears should be excited about. So that overall kind of feels like a a pitching rotation, right? That's completely empty one year. They get a bunch of minor league prospects. Okay, we got guys we're excited about that we can be bringing up mid-season. That's what it feels like to me this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's move on to wide receiver because I'm I'm excited about this wide receiving group, and I kind of want to see if you guys are matching my excitement level. But Allen Robinson, I think, has no doubt established himself as wide receiver one. I, we were talking before we started recording, and why the heck has this guy not been signed to an extension? Um, so hopefully that happens because this guy is a legitimate wide receiver one. I think that Keenan Allen signing that rather large extension, and I think Keenan Allen is a very similar player to Allen Robinson at this point that may have just torn up any contract offer that Ryan Pace was making, and they're going to have to start from scratch. But you have Allen Robinson as your wide receiver one. You have Anthony Miller, who was so close to having a big year last year, um, but was not able to connect with Mitchell Trubisky on a number of throws that Miller was flashing wide open. And so he is a really great candidate to break out big. They signed Ted Ginn as a speed element. Um, I don't think that anybody here is going to say that Ted Ginn's the best wide receiver in the league, and he's obviously a little older, but he is a professional wide receiver that has some speed. And so if nothing else, you hope that he can teach the young guy, Darnell Mooney, who was drafted late in this draft, who has speed to burn as well. And so you hope that he can teach him some of that speed receiver craft, and maybe we'll see some of Mooney. And then we're going to round out this list with Riley Ridley, who we didn't see a lot of last year, but is uh, supposedly a very good route runner. And then Javon Wims made the roster. There's a lot of talk about Wims not making the roster, but he ends up making the roster. There's your six, and I kind of like it. What do you think overall of this wide receiver group? I think it's a pretty good group. I think it's better than a lot of people expect. Obviously, it's it's, it's kind of top heavy with Allen Robinson. He's one of the better receivers in the game today. And and, and you did mention that contract. It's you know he's very very vocal on social media. Um, and so it's kind of hard to kind of tell where he's leaning there. He's kind of sent out some cryptic tweets every now and again. So you know, but from from what you know, it, from what it seems like is there is no offer on the table. You know, he, he hasn't been offered. I think that it's one of those things where. You know, maybe they're waiting to see what happens with the cap next year. You know, Ryan Pace, uh, you know, he had his press conference on, on Monday and he said that's not the case, that it's going to be business as usual for them. But, you know, if you're running a business, you have to understand how the, how the seller cap's going to operate. So maybe that has something to do with it. I just can't see them letting Robinson leave. You know, he's too good of a player. He's too good in that locker room. You know, he is just a, he's a guy that you want to have, you know, finish a career as, as a Chicago Bear. Um, then you mentioned Miller. I think Miller and Ginn are, are your next two starters. I think Ted Ginn, you know, he, he may not, you know, he, he may be a starter there at, at, at the Z, you know, but it's going to be, Miller's going to be the second most in targets. 
And you mentioned yeah. Ridley. You mentioned Wims, Mooney. I'm really excited to see Darnell Mooney. Again, he's another guy that the coaches really raved about all offseason. And usually with rookie receivers, you don't really hear that too much, uh, especially a guy that was a, a fifth-round draft pick. You know, you know, you really shouldn't expect too much from him. But, you know, the coaches loved him. He, he He's another one of these guys that during the Zoom meetings, he has he was on point. His stuff in the classroom was great. Um, I saw a story where he would – what he would do is he would – he would. Uh, 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 have the have the plays be called out on on a recording, and then he would go in and run the plays that was called. So we can kind of get used to the whole tempo of the offense. So he's a guy that takes his job really seriously. And and again, you mentioned that speed. If he can kind of bring a more of that speed element to the game, I think that's going to be a big plus for the Bears' offense. Yeah, yeah I kind of had a question for you. Like yep. you've got Mooney and you've got Ginn, and I really do kind of appreciate this idea of a mentor kind of showing you the craft. And I think for a guy like Ginn to be around as long as he did, clearly he has developed a craft. And I think this could be really good for Mooney. Now, the big question is, you know, we see this on paper as a really important element, the speed element to be able to take the top off the defense. Mitchell Trubisky, do you think he can take advantage of that with his deep ball accuracy issues? That's a fantastic question, and I think it's interesting that they brought Ginn in. I certainly wasn't a fan of the move, but if I am, it's from that angle, that he has hung hung around in the league a lot longer than a lot of us thought he would. He does not have great hands. He does have speed, but you can't be a one-trick pony and stay in the NFL for a long time, and Ginn has found a way to keep making rosters. He found a way to make this one, too. And that's nothing but good for a guy like Darnell Mooney that Lester alluded to knows how to study and is looking to pick up those tips that a veteran mentor is looking to drop his way. So ideally, I would say Ginn is the starter for, oh, somewhere between four and six games, and then Mooney takes it over later in the year and gets those live reps, takes what he's learned from Ginn and sort of uh, puts that on paper or puts that on grass is a better way to say that. Whether or not Mitchell Trubisky can take advantage of it, he's got plenty of arm to get it out there. There are noted accuracy issues. He's mid-pack in the NFL in his best seasons in terms of deep ball accuracy. But the kind of separation Mooney can get is akin to what K.J. Hamler can get. You don't have to have a super accurate ball. He can run underneath it. He is crazy fast. If he gets free, He's going to put the screws to a lot of defensive backs in the NFL, pro defensive backs. He has that kind of gas. So I'm super excited to see him. Uh, One thing nobody's brought up, guys from Tulane, right? (laughs) Bears have really good history with skill players from Tulane, even if it's just Matt Forte, but still. That's good. That's a good list of one. I know, right? Just that's a guy to follow. No, but excited to see Mooney on the field. Uh, Riley Ridley is a bit of an enigma, right? Uh, He's supposedly great route runner. I was a fan of his coming out of Georgia, but he just doesn't seem to be able to crack the top tier here. Really, a lot of people expected him to ease into the number three role. Uh, Miller may be moving outside. Miller's prime for a massive year if he can connect with whoever's the quarterback because he was wide open, as you mentioned, on a lot, a lot of routes last year and just didn't get the ball. Um, but even folks who aren't necessarily wide receiver gurus on Twitter are, are saying, man, Anthony Miller's route running is standing out to me as I go back and look at the tape. So it's there. They just have to hit him. So it's an exciting group overall. Yeah, that that's an interesting thing that you bring up, and we're both really big fans of Miller on this podcast, of course. This is a pro-Anthony Miller podcast. The only thing that I'm a little worried about, and we've talked about this possibility before, 
is that if Ryan Pace thinks that we can let Allen Robinson walk because Anthony Miller is going to be my yeah. wide receiver one, I think that is a big mistake because he's such a good secondary weapon at this point in his career. But to have push on him to be the number one is kind of a classic Bears blunder. I I don't see it that way. I actually am going to flip that coin and say if I'm Allen Robinson at this point, and the Bears are handing me any less than like alpha wide receiver one money, and I mean like top five wide receivers in the league, I'm going to go, you know, you're not really maximizing my professional potential with Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles. I'm not so sure I'm going to sign that. Players are realizing, especially in 2020, that they have more power. And if you're Allen Robinson and you look at Allen Robinson's career quarterback trajectory arc, right, the idea that he could go to a place and play with somebody that is even in the mid-tier to the lower upper mid-tier of quarterbacks and have consistent quarterbacking has got to be so tantalizing because I think we all agree that Allen Robinson, tremendous talent at wide receiver, easily an alpha number one without a quarterback. You get that guy a quarterback, he can absolutely carry any receiving core in the league. And you're telling me you're going to stick me with a guy that really, really mailed in a dead duck last year. I'm going to say, okay, but am I going to sign on long-term? I'm going to put this back on Robinson and say where his, he would have said uh, maybe a year ago, yep, I'm in for the long-term. Give me that deal. I'll take my bag and, and stay in Chicago and finish my career. We would love to see that as Bears fans because he is such a good player, such a good leader demonstrates it on the field but now if i'm robinson i'm like oh so this is how you're gonna roll it really because wide receiver completely dependent on the quarterback right they can't catch it if he doesn't throw it and i would say there's probably a little hesitancy there you're gonna have to overpay in a couple of ways keenan allen contract is one reason but the lack of consistency in the quarterbacks if you look at who allen robinson's worked with who's through his career i mean you know Blake Bortles, Mitchell Trubisky, like this. This is not the highlight reel of quarterbacking in the NFL, and he's got to think at least in some point in the back of his head, what if I had an NFL competent arm throwing me the ball? I would be up here. So right. I would say the hesitancy is on his side. Yeah, that's um, absolutely possible. So let's move on to running back, and I. <laughs> this is an interesting group. Uh, kind of expected a veteran to be signed here, but. You've got David Montgomery, who's currently recovering from a growing injury. I don't know, you know, we're, we're recording this in front of the first injury report of the year, so we don't know if we expect Montgomery to be on the field on Sunday. My guess, which I have zero inside information, but just based on the injury that he sustained, I would guess that he's not going to play the opener and they're going to rely on a, on a backfield by committee. You've got Tariq Cohen, a.k.a. Chicken Salad. We've got to make sure that we get that nickname uh, going as much as possible. We've got Ryan Nall, the Oregon State Beaver. Go OSU. And we've got Cordero Patterson are the four guys that we think are going to take snaps in the backfield. I know that the, when the depth chart came out, they listed Cordero Patterson as a wide receiver, but we do expect him to take some snaps in the backfield. So uh, what's going on at running back? Do you think that we're short one veteran signing here, or do you think you feel comfortable rolling with this backfield? Yeah, I think uh, a veteran would be nice at this point. I know they had had uh, Patterson working with the running backs all off season, you know. But the, the big question mark now there is: Does he understand the blitz pickup? Does he understand the pass protection? You know, if if, if they if they're really comfortable that he understands that aspect of the of the of his job. 
then I think they're fine. But, you know, if, if they're a little leery, I think they may go out and sign a guy. But, again, like you said, um, the way it is right now, it's going to be uh, uh, no Montgomery. They're probably going to have Tariq Cohen start. And, and I'm actually excited to see what could happen with Ryan Nall. You know, I, I know a lot of Bears fans, that, that's, they're really split on him. You know, people think he's, he's, he's terrible and he sucks. He's awful. A lot of people are just really hyped on him because he had a couple good preseasons. You know, but I just think he has – enough skill set where he can be a serviceable a serviceable guy I'm not expecting all pro year out of Ryan all but I think if he's your number two or your number three I think that's fine yeah I think it comes with scheme shift I would love to see Montgomery healthy because he's got tremendous gifts and if the again the offensive line has improved to even a median level I think his success is going to go through the roof we saw a lot of runs kind of like Anthony Miller's routes that he was right there if he'd had one more block he runs extremely hard he would have busted it for an initial you know an additional five to seven yards and you add that up over a season and it's it's tantalizing but until that growing heels we're going to see this mixed group Nall could have some success if the Bears do transition to more of that outside zone sort of one cut and go running game because his tape at OSU is full of breakaways in that scheme right get outside, realize when to plant your foot, and then go in a straight line like a bat out of hell. And he's got good size, good speed, and that sort of scheme fits him. I'm not saying he's going to be an MVP, but he could certainly be serviceable and rip off some chunks. I would have liked to see a veteran ad, especially at the cuts. There were a bunch of guys that I thought would have been a decent fit for the Bears. Jonathan Williams, John Kelly, um, even DeAndre Washington. All those guys were available at the cut down to 53 and would have given you some insurance for that first, whatever it is, two, four, six weeks until Montgomery's fully ready to roll. Um, might see a guy like that signed depending again on that injury report after week one. So the vested veteran salary isn't guaranteed. Yeah. What about Pat? We kind of glossed over Patterson in the running back room, but you know, and, and obviously he's got to get the pickups, but did you like that conscious move to move him to the running back room? Because he definitely showed some juice there last year. Yeah, if you look at his career, he, he's always done that. I mean, that's where he's – his best tape in the NFL besides as a kick returner has been as a running back. So I think I think he just, he should be a – you know, I know the Bears listed at receiver, but, you know, I think his, his best position in the NFL on offense is running back. He's got some tremendous physical gifts. He's way bigger than you think he is until you see him in person. Like, you see that guy at camp, and you're like, that's a tight end. And then you're like, oh, no, that's Cordero Patterson. Uh, So he's got great size, a ton of quicks. Again, if they move to that sort of more one-cut outside zone scheme, he can do some damage there. If he finds that gap, he can certainly exploit it with the size and the speed. I'm with Lester. It's the more nuanced stuff. Uh, is he going to understand a stunt? Is he going to be able to flip to the other side to protect the quarterback on a late rush? If he can do those things, I think he's worth the playing time. Other than that, it's a scripted bunch of plays. He's not a guy I run out there as a number one. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last running back question I wanted to talk about was, what do you think was the biggest impact on Tariq Cohen from eighteen, from 2018 to 2019? Uh, he really dropped in that explosive play element. So what do you think needs to happen for him to add that back into his game and be a factor on the field? I think it's matchups, right? Matchups in his first year, 
he ended up getting matched up against inside linebackers and give me that all day. There are very few inside linebackers in the NFL that can keep with Tariq Cohen um, when he's fully healthy. I'm not sure he was 100% healthy last year. We never heard anything directly about health, but he did not look to have the pop and explosion that he did as a rookie. And he got matched up against big corners or safeties on the inside. And there are more big corners or safeties that can keep with him. Um, they rotated him out to the slot a lot more pre-snap. That's going to get you a match of a rolling safety. That's not as much of a mismatch as it is against an inside linebacker. If you line him up as a straight tailback and don't motion him pre-snap, he's got the inside linebacker responsibility probably eight times out of ten. And he can whip those guys, especially out to the flat or in a wheel route. So it was a little bit scheme, possibly a little bit physical. He just didn't look to have that explosion. If they can get back to sort of keeping him in line and not trying to make him into, quote unquote, a true slot, I think you're going to see more effectiveness out of him because you've got to get him matched against those slower players. Yeah, yeah I think that that's what I saw too. Yeah, yeah you got to use him like Darren Sproles. I mean, that's what he was compared to coming out of college. You know, he, he kind of – that's what his game is. He's not a receiver. He is not a slot receiver. He's not. He's not a receiver. Keep him at tailback. You know, let him be matched up against the linebackers, and he'll win that all day. I think he even mentioned that. You know, it was either him or the coaches said that. You know, this last this this last season, he was matched up like like he just said. He, he's going up against corners. You know, can, can can he win those? Sure, of course. But but I like the odds of him beating a linebacker better than beating a corner. Sure. And, and then and then with with EJ also mentioned that his he wasn't injured, but maybe he wasn't in the best shape, and and that's something that he actually talked about as well. He said that you know not not having a vet running back on on the, on the team with him, you know he kind of let his conditioning slip a little bit. So you know he he understood that. You know he's going into this season. He says he's in the best shape of his life, which is what they all say. Um, but 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 he acknowledged last year he wasn't, and he acknowledged the reason why is because he didn't have a guy like Benny Cunningham. They're pushing him, you know, keeping him his, his stretching and everything as, as far as his conditioning. You know, so if he's aware of it and he's understanding that, I think we should see a really big year out of Tariq Cohen. Well, this is the best podcasting shape of my life that I've been in, so <laughs> I'm right there with them. <laughs> well, that's it. No, I'm just kidding. We got to talk about this quarterback position. So Mitchell Trubisky was named the starter with the winner of the quarterback competition over offseason acquisition Nick Foles. And I want to just go through and recap a bit about Mitchell Trubisky. And I guess this is mostly my opinion, but then we'll we'll start here and then we'll go with some questions after that. But in 2018, I think the Bears defense uh, did a really nice job of providing a lot of positive game scripts for Trubisky. And I think we saw some success with Nagy's offense that first year shot in the arm. And I think most notably... His success came against teams that have predictable coverages. The Lions run very predictable coverages. The Buccaneers, who were not very good, um, but also were also very predictable in the coverages that they ran. Uh, that's where Trubisky really had his biggest uh, statistical outbursts. And then he got injured, and that really seemed to take away his desire to run. And I would say um, that that really was exploited down the stretch, and he really kind of looked like a different guy after that injury. 2019, I think, objectively speaking, it was a disaster from the start. From the first series of the first game, um, it was just a disaster, and we did not see a lot of positives. There was did not seem to be a lot of progression on the mental side of the game. There was no real running of the football, which he is gifted at. And then there was, the deep ball accuracy just simply wasn't there. It was bottom of the league. Uh, he mostly threw to his first read, favored a lot of throws behind the line of scrimmage, 
or possession routes to Allen Robinson. Obviously, Allen Robinson racked up a lot of stats, but it was like the only guy that he could hit consistently was Allen Robinson. I would say most of his throws lacked accuracy, and he was just not able to give his receivers a chance to catch in stride to make any sort of run-after-the-catch uh, yardage. And that's a big deal you see with the really good, accurate quarterbacks. They hit the guy right in stride, and they're able to get a lot more yardage afterwards. A lot of those routes stopped right where he threw them because they weren't on target. So the Bears, uh, you know, they told you a lot by declining to pick up his fifth-year option. And then they made a move to bring in competition by giving up a fourth-round pick and guaranteeing a lot of money to Nick Foles. And then they ran a quarterback competition. I think a lot of people had very strong opinions either way. Um, I think I personally sort of just sat out. I didn't really have a strong opinion either way of who I thought was going to win this. I said I would be mildly surprised if Trubisky came out on top because I thought that Matt Nagy would prefer someone who has shown a history of having that mental uh, side of the game kind of down a little bit more than Trubisky has shown. But Trubisky, to his credit, came out and won that quarterback competition in an abbreviated camp with no preseason, and Foles will start the year as the backup. And so, let's just get into it. Do you have confidence in Mitchell Trubisky to be the guy in 2020? Um, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, that's just based on what I saw last year. I mean, right. you know, he, he is, he is a, a great guy. He puts all the work in physical, mental. He, he, he's trying his best, but, but based on the film last year, based on the, some of the, the, the regression he made last year, you know, the reason I predicted him to have a good, you know, 2019 was based on this last, you know, four or five games in, in 2018. Yeah, you mentioned the running wasn't there, but but he worked from the pocket. He ran an efficient game. You know, he, he didn't panic. You know, he he went through his reads a little better. You know, he the games uh, going down the stretch when the Bears were in, you know, going towards the playoffs, it didn't seem too big for him. You know, he looked like a guy, you know, that was able to that should have been able to build off that and and have a pretty decent 2019. And and like you said, from week one, it didn't happen. You no, know, again, part of it is on the play calling. You know, I think he he dropped back fifty five times. You know, against the Packers, and that's just you know, there's no point to that. You know, a part of it's the offensive line regressing a little bit. You know, but it, at the end of the day, you know, it's on that quarterback to elevate his team. You know, if you have a quarterback where the running back has to be perfect, the O line has to be perfect, receivers have to be perfect, tight ends have to be perfect. You don't have a guy at quarterback. You do have, you know, you, you got to find another guy. You know, it's the quarterback's job to elevate his teammates, not the other way around. And and until I see him do it, until I see him make a correct read on, on a simple RPO, until I see him drop back and, and, and hit the guy that's there instead of freezing in the pocket, until I see him, you know, you know scrambling and, and, and taking the ball and just dumping it out of bounds for, for to, to save the, the loss and yardage of a sack, until I see him make these these things, I don't have the confidence he can be the man this year. I hope I'm wrong. I hope right. he does it, but I just don't see it. Yeah, 20, 2019, I think, soured us all. 2018 had many of us hopeful because we saw progression, and I'm going to do a shameless plug for a friend of the show, Jonathan Wood, who wrote a great article on the Bears blog uh, about what Trubisky did well during the best stretch of his career, and that's from week four to week 11. Uh, until he got hurt in 2018, and he looked at the stats. That's Jay Wood's thing. 
And he picked out three main themes. Uh, One was that Trubisky moved the ball efficiently. You look at the yards per attempt. He was a bit more aggressive during that time. He threw touchdowns, right? He didn't just throw checkdowns. He threw touchdowns. Um, 4.5% of all the passes thrown in the NFL in 2019 went for touchdowns. Uh, In that seven-game stretch, Trubisky was almost double that. So he was aggressive throwing a ball, and his legs were a weapon. JB alluded to that in the open. He was running with efficiency more than volume. That meant he took the good opportunities. And I sort of coined this phrase, the Mitch switch last year. And you can see when it flips for Trubisky. He looks like a different guy. And from week one last year, the switch was not on. Uh, Early in the second quarter in the Green Bay game, he looked like a deer in headlights. Again, part of that's the offensive line fails and those open rush blitzes. Part of that's the play calling. But he didn't look like that guy. And then he comes out against teams like, you said, Detroit was the only team last year that he really came out against Washington to a point. But really, the Detroit games, he came out, he looked confident, he looked comfortable, he looked aggressive, he took his shots, he ran when he needed to. That's a different guy. And to my eye, I just coined it as the Mitch switch, right? You can tell when he's confident and aggressive. I used to ride motocross when I was a kid. And motocross, for the most part, professional teams field two riders. And there was a classic rider in the 1980s who was not a guy that would grind through the field and come from behind. But if he went out, he would just extend his lead. If he had clear track in front of him, he would just, every lap would be better and better. So the team manager would actually tell the guy in front, if it was rider number two, slow down and let that guy pass. And then he's just going to lap the field. And Trubisky seems like that guy. If he comes out and hits his first couple of throws, gets aggressive and has success, runs a couple times, makes those good decisions that Lester was talking about, you can see it. The game looks easy. He looks comfortable. He's aggressive. He makes the right calls. He makes them quickly. And if he doesn't, the opposite happens. That's the other side of the coin. If he makes a couple of bad decisions, gets a couple of bad rushes early in the game, he goes in the tank. And so I think what we all want to see is him to come out and operate with that confidence and hit some things early and let that success sort of build. There's enough offensive talent around him to let that happen. But he's got to, to Lester's point, be that driver. And if you look at the 2019 tape, there was a lack of him doing that with the exception of the Washington game and the two Detroit games. So we're not hopeful that he can do it based on balance of the stats and just how awful, how putrid 2019 was we're hoping as bears fans that he can but those are the things he needs to do and do well and do quickly if he's going to lead this team offensively yeah lesser do you have anything what you think that what he needs to do to be successful to add on to what ej was saying you know to me it's all about his pocket presence i mean he he can't get flustered we saw too many times last year you know i mean maybe he's seeing ghosts maybe he was expecting pressure be that it wasn't there you know, but but he has to understand that he has to sometimes stay in there. You know, we saw him leave the pocket too too too, too quick on a lot of occasions. You know, he his his leaving the pocket early led to so many sacks last year, just because he was putting his offensive line in a bad position. You know, if 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 he if, he, if, he, if he's flushed to his right when he doesn't have to be, you know, now that the, the 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 edge rusher comes off the block quicker, so now now he's creating pressure for himself. 
you know, he has to show that pocket presence. And that's something that the, the coaches have talked about with, with Matt Nagy. He said that he didn't see that in camp. He saw an improved command of, of the pocket. You know, he saw better footwork. You know, maybe that has something to do with working with Jeff Christensen, the, the noted uh, QB guru that's located in, in the Chicagoland area. You know, maybe that has something to do with it. You know, uh, maybe he's healthy. You know, he, he also had a, a bunch of rehab stuff, you know, this, this last offseason as well. So, you know, I mean, it's it, right now. It's all about hope for Bears fans. So, so hopefully, all of these things that that he did in the off season, you know, hopefully, all the things that we're hearing from Matt Nagy, hopefully, it's all true. And, and Trubisky can come out and, and he can prove that you know he is the man, and, and he can he can earn that the, the franchise tag or, or a big contract, whatever it's going to be. Because you know, I said all along, you know, the best case scenario for the Bears would be for him to be the man. Right. You know, that's that's the best thing for this team. If he's not. And and it's not foals, you know. And then this team is really in, in QB purgatory, and that's nowhere to be in the NFL. Yeah, I've kind of breaking it broken it down into three areas. He needs to take a leap mentally. I think we can all agree that his ability to read coverages and and get off of his first read just isn't there. You're not seeing that uh, progression that you would expect from a guy in his you know third year last year. Um, you'd hope to see him much further along than that. He's got some mechanical things that you hope that his work with that quarterback guru has taken care of. Um, hopefully he's cleaned that up, which uh, certainly impacts any sort of long ball accuracy. And then you hope he's healthy because he did have off-season surgery. Maybe he was playing through something, and, and I don't think people give enough credit um, or, or put enough weight on NFL players playing hurt. You know, A lot of these guys are out there with serious injuries and gutting through stuff and not letting that show but sometimes that really does have an impact on performance. And so if you're looking for what is it that Mitchell Trubisky has to do to be able to get into that category of being like a, a mid-level starter in the NFL, I really do think he has to clean up or progress in all three of those areas. And so that's a tough trifecta to pull off in one offseason. But th- that to me is what he has to show um, for me to feel really good about this. But want to talk about the schedule a little bit. Just a couple questions. We'll wrap up here. But I um, want to talk about the schedule because the Bears seem to have kind of an easy start to the schedule. And obviously things change. There's a lot of variation from year to year. It's never good to just pencil teams in for what they did the, the previous year. But it does seem like the schedule makers gave the Bears uh, sort of a fast runway to start the year. Do you think that's good for Trubisky? It kind of goes with what EJ was saying in terms of like getting those early throws and building that confidence. So do you think that schedule makers gave the Bears a, a gift here, or would you like to have seen a stiff competition early on? <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> Given what we just said about the quarterback, I don't want a gauntlet to run in the first four or five games. That could be tremendously destructive ballpark we'd see Nick Foles in game three four or five and that's that's rough Uh, starting out against Detroit look honest to God no matter what you think about Trubisky there could not be a better draw for week one he eats the Lions he plays better against the Lions than just about any other team it always cracks me up when I see Lions fans throwing shit at Mitchell Trubisky because I'm like he has absolutely stomped on you, even in terrible years. So what are you saying here? Starting against the Lions is a gift. Uh, the rest of it, again, if he gets on a roll, I don't think that... Hmm, I, I just think it's it's very good to start against the Lions. We're going to see what he is quickly. If he's crap against the Lions in week one, I don't 
honestly have a lot of hope for the rest of the season. People say, oh, you're throwing in the towel too soon. No, I'm not. I'm thinking about 2019 and even early 2018, right? If he gets on a roll against the Lions, hey, like Lester said, it's all about hope. The hope continues. The ability that he could improve the next week is a is a strong possibility. Great. Let's go with that. So I like the way it sets up. It It's all his. I mean, so much of this season, you could say, Everything about the Bears, the schedule, the season, all the players. Like, it's on Trubisky's table. If he takes advantage of it, that's great. But it, it literally comes down to how he performs. Yeah, it's it's, it's, a, it's a, a decent schedule to start. Uh, Lions, Giants, Atlanta, uh, Colts. You know, with the whole COVID going on, there will be no, no – uh, there'll be the, the stadium's going to be quiet. So, you know, there really is no home field advantage, I'm assuming now, uh, these days. So – you know, having those four to start, I mean, those are, aren't the best defenses. And then, you know, the Buccaneers week five, which is, they have a, a fantastic, fantastic offense, uh, defensively, you know, we'll see if they can keep up, but, you know, it's, it's a pretty decent start for, for Trubisky. You know, maybe that has something to do with, with making the call to have him be the starter. Um, and like you just said, if he gets on a roll, he's one of those guys that he can build on a confident, on that confidence. And, and there will be no outside noise for him to worry about if, if he's playing well. So, you know, I think the schedule, the way it lines up, it's it's favorable for the Bears. But again, you know, each year these things are different. Each year things happen. I mean, the Lions, you know, I, I thought they've had some really good drafts the last few years, and I'm just waiting for them to, to kind of for those guys to, to show up. And and if, if if Matt Stafford's healthy, you know, that's no gimme for the Bears in Week One. I mean, that's a that's a good quarterback. You know, they have a, a really good uh, bunch of receivers over there, so you know that may be a shootout. So we'll see what happens. But I think is the way the Bears defense is constructed. You know, they're going to keep them in a lot of games like they did last year. You know, one thing you mentioned about not having any fans in the stadium, so the, the stadiums will be quiet. That also means that the Soldier Field won't boo the offense. <laughs> and so that's a good thing. We won't have that's to worry good, about fans bonus. booing their own team, which uh, I'm not a big fan of myself. So, uh, yeah. JB, I'll, let's tell you, get into I'll tell you one thing about the Lions game, though. We talked about that defense to lead the show, and let me tell you, they better have their run fits tight against the Lions because Lester alluded to it. The guy they drafted, DeAndre Swift, if you don't have your run fit tight, it's going to be a long day. He is going to eat against your defense. So that veteran front seven better lock that down or it's going to be a tough day for the Bears. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing an early challenge with Jalen Johnson uh, against those wide receivers because they have some good ones in Detroit. So definitely, uh, definitely some interesting matchups there. And we're we're not doing a typical matchup show, but we're doing the we're doing the whole season preview here. But we'll get into more of that as we get into our regular show. But all right, well, one final question. So, what do you think the end result of this 2020 Bears squad is? Do you think this is a team that hovers around the 500 mark? maybe makes a wild card weekend appearance but gets knocked out in the first round do you think this team can compete for a division and maybe win a playoff game or are you going lower than what i just described yeah i uh they went eight and eight last year with with an atrocious offense so if the offense even takes a small a small jump in play. You got to figure the defense would be just as good, if not better. You know, they're going to bounce back a little bit as far as the turnovers go, as far as the sacks go. So that defense should be, again, at least a top 10 unit. And, and again, eight and eight with an atrocious offense. I think this team should be better than that. You know, nine wins, maybe 10 if things really break well for them. But 
but again, it's it all comes down to the quarterback. You know, I, I was assuming a nine ten year with with Nick Foles. You know, now that it's Mitch Trubisky, you know, based on what we saw last year, again, you know, I, I got to see it to believe it with Trubisky. You know, if, if he comes out and he plays better and, and he's able to move the ball and 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 and, and things look, you know, more efficient. And again, we talk about it. We don't expect all pro play out of him. Just you know, be smart. You know, be a game manager. Manage that offense. You know, be be a be a leader for that offense. You know, uh, uh, run the ball when you have to. You know, make 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 the right read when you have to. And if you can do these little things, then I think nine ten wins is possible. Yeah, I'd agree with Lester almost down the line. I think nine or ten is is very possible, but I think it goes back to what you said, JB, about the schedule, especially in the first four games. If they do well win three out of those first four games i think nine ten wins is easily within reach if they struggle in those first four games and they come out one and four i do not feel like this is a team either with trubisky or Foles that's going to climb the mountain late in the season and mount a late charge and knock off a bunch of division rivals in what is a talented division i think they need to get rolling early and i think trubisky needs to play well because everybody's like oh well they can hand off to Foles, but that's a transition for a team there's no guarantees there that he comes in hot everybody thinks that about nick Foles because that's been his career profile right is the savior coming off the bench and leading a hot run to the super bowl that doesn't happen all the time right so there's no guarantees about that if they start well nine ten wins is within reach that's either a wild card. I think probably a wild card. I don't think they win the division just with the questions they have, but they've got to get on an early roll if they're going to do any of that. Yeah, I think that nine or 10 sounds good. I'm going to say that the Vikings are probably the team to beat. I think that the Packers take a step back, but um, you and I have had disagreements about how ready the Vikings are to, to, you know, to be a good team. I think I was right on that one last year, but you were right the year before. So, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. I think that they can hit 10 wins, but boy, you know, it, you really do need to see something better out of that quarterback position. Um, and you need to see healthy defenders, right? We need to, we need to make sure that we retain the health of those dudes that we've got at every level on that defense, but they need to stay healthy and they need to stay productive. And so, um, I'm, I'm good with 10 wins and maybe that takes the division, um, but it's not going to have a buy and, uh, you know, they're going to have to fight through a very crowded playoff field in the NFC. There are a lot of really good teams in the NFC this year. And so it's not going to be an easy route to get anywhere in those playoffs. But I think that that could be a fun year, and I think the defense is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm going to have a lot of fun talking about it with you guys. And so really appreciate Lester coming on. So let's talk about the beers, and let's get out of here. Lester, did you make it through your Dirty Bastard Ale? Yeah, I, I choked it down. It was, uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nothing I would drink on purpose normally. I'm more of a... You know, I, I don't like the the taste of beer normally. I'm more of a, an apple cider or a, a, a fruity cocktail guy, to be honest. But uh, we appreciate your sacrifice, boss. We do. Yeah, yeah. But it, you know, it wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't uh, as bitter as I thought it would be. Um, it, it was okay. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I had the Marvel roast from Founders, and you had the Dirty Bastard from Founders. And so this Imperial Golden Ale, it's definitely not something I've had before. A uh, lot of stuff in it. It had a good taste. 
the milk sugar makes it very sweet. So this is not something that I would drink two of, although um, 8% alcohol by volume is not something I necessarily need to have two of. And so this was uh, good by itself. I definitely will enjoy the rest of this four pack and I would recommend going out and getting it if it's still in your uh, liquor stores. EJ. Yeah, the Booth Bay Craft Brewery Sweetwoods Maple Breakfast Stout. Um, a little bit misleading in terms of the sweetness. It says Sweetwoods, says Maple Breakfast. You're thinking syrup. You're thinking I'm going to get that overt sweetness. But what really comes through in this one is the stout character, almost a smoky character. Uh, maybe some of the hardwood fire they used to smoke that maple syrup. Who knows? But uh, a true stout, uh, a little definitely on the dark side and... You know, if you like stout character, I would absolutely recommend it. If you're looking for a sweet beer like the one you had, JB, uh, might want to look elsewhere. That maple doesn't come through in a strong way more than flavor. The sweetness definitely doesn't come over the top. Great. Well, guys, I'm excited to kick off the 2020 season with you. And obviously, Lester will try to have you back on at some point, maybe halfway through the year. We'll check up with uh, the health of the Bears. But everybody knows where to find you. If they know where to find us, they know where to find you. But you want to, like, give, like, a plug for what you're excited about on Windy City Gridiron this year? Uh, you know, uh, week one kickoff, things are going to be popping at the site. You know, we're, we're finalizing our schedule, so there should be a lot of uh, stuff coming up, a lot, of, a lot of Lion preview. And then once that obviously happens, you know, sack watch the week after that. So, you know, hopefully I have uh, I don't have a lot of work to do on that column. I'm actually getting a little sick of writing it, to be honest with you. Uh, so, so, so hopefully my work on that column is is decreased. And Trubisky is uh, not going to have any more of those uh, those unnecessary sacks that piss me off so much. So, um, you know, a lot of good stuff coming up though. Great. EJ, want to get us out of here? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great goal for Lester is to not be so pissed off this year. I think the Lester pissed off index is something we can track throughout the year. And if it's low, the Bears will be doing well. So that's a great thing for all of us. Uh, JB and I will be coming to you every week, bringing you the recap of the Bears game now that we have some to talk about and a preview to the next week's opponent, as we did last year. We'll come up with some spectacular for the bye week, as we did last year. But until then, you can find both JB and I's work on Windy City Gridiron. Plenty of roundtables, plenty of football to talk about now that we're actually into the NFL season. You can follow JB at GridironBorn on Twitter. You can follow me at the Draftsman FB, as in football. And until then, there's real football, folks. Get excited and bear down.